This is the Wesson Walker Show. I think the most I've ever spent was like maybe was maybe one fifty. It's a decent amount. It's Wes. And how much was the transaction that you had to pay her when the date was over? Wow. That's wow. an amazing insult. And Walker. It just makes me feel good. I can't get a woman out of the bed, but I can get my co-host or That's my right. show host out of the bed. That's I think right. you can get a woman in the bed, Fiddy. It's not about getting them out right now. Shut the hell up. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. <laughs> Definite inside joke. Oh yeah, that's too that's too much. Fitty knows this is a booty mover. <laughs> is it an all-time booty mover, Fitty? You know, let me let me think about it. Okay. And I'm thinking, and I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. And Scrolling thinking, and thinking, yeah. stuff all time booty mover. I mean, look, I mean, you answered for me because I had a brain fart. Yes, all time booty mover, but I can't move. Okay, that's okay. Yeah, you're you're still recuperating from Saturday night's win when North Carolina took down the South Carolina Gamecocks. We'll get to some more college football storylines a little bit later on. But something a little worrisome brewing right now with the Carolina Panthers, and it didn't seem to be that case at the beginning of these negotiations. Wes Brian Burns. Ongoing contract negotiations. We knew about this all offseason long, but Brian wasn't missing any time like a Nick Bosa or a Chris Jones. Two guys maybe at the top of their positions. Chris Jones, the only one you would argue is Aaron Donald. Really, the only question there is, has the baton been passed from Donald to Chris Jones? But he wants to be paid like the top defensive tackle in the league. Nick Bosa wants to be paid like the top edge rusher in the league, and he's got more than a good case for that. Brian Burns might not be the best edge rusher in the NFL, but he's really important to this team, and he's very good, and now he wants to get paid maybe possibly like a top five edge rusher. That's the only thing that we can take from him missing what is a second straight scheduled practice. He missed this on Monday, and now there are no guarantees that he's going to see the field against the Atlanta Falcons. Frank Reich was asked about this, and he called Burns choosing not to practice, quote, a personal matter. Now, Wes, we talked about this on Thursday when he said that before the three-day break, and I didn't think that it was contract-related. Maybe that was naive, but we just hadn't seen anything from Brian Burns to suggest that missed time was due to the contract negotiations, and they kept calling it a personal matter. But then, Reich, head coach of the Panthers, was asked what changed between then and Wednesday, and he said, well, I'm not involved in the contract negotiations at all. I have zero input. And so now, with this being an ongoing matter, Brian Burns possibly want to apply pressure on Carolina. I think this is something where maybe he wanted to stay in shape, not get fined, continue to practice with his team in training camp, all the practices leading up to game week. And then maybe when the real pressure is applied, having him out there where there's a real difference, okay, so he can practice and all that. But now... Going out there on game day, if you don't have him, then who are you going to turn to? Justin Houston for half the snaps, and then uh, Marquise Haynes if he's not out there, YGM, Amari Barno, time to really step up, young buck. <laughs> Continue to do what you've been doing in the preseason, except now we need it at a higher volume. What do you make of this Brian Burns situation? Yeah, I knew that when they said it's a personal matter, yeah, the personal matter is he wants some more Skrilla. 
Okay, that's the name of the game here. Straight cash, homie. <laughs> Nick Bosa, 49ers, shame on you. You don't have this deal done yet. And I've been sitting there wondering to myself, I'm like, you guys knew this was coming. I don't understand what the holdup is. And so I knew for Brian Burns, he came to camp in good faith. But at the end of the day, his agents and Brian Burns, they're waiting for him to get it because, as I said, Brian Burns has all of the leverage here. So whatever number Nick Bosa gets, Brian Burns won't get the same one, but he's going to get something in the ballpark. And so they're waiting to see what that number is going to be. Hopefully, Nick Bosa, they said uh, an extension is on the table for him. Hopefully, he takes that and comes in and gets ready to play the Pittsburgh Steelers. But if that doesn't happen, his situation is a domino, and it's going to affect Brian Burns. Brian Burns does not want to go out there and play a regular season football game, risk injury, and then really mess himself up and give the team any more leverage. Because let's just say – you know, he has something I'm not going to get into specifics, but let's just say he has a really bad injury. And then the team can come back and say, well, you know, we don't know if we want to pay you anything close to that because you just got this. We don't know if you're going to recover. And he has to wait. So he's doing exactly what he should do. I mean, it was kind of in reverse as far as, you know, with him coming into camp and then waiting until the season gets close and saying, oh, my deal's not done. Now I'm going to sit down. But this is a real thing, and the longer Nick Bosa's contract deal goes, then the longer Brian Burns' situation is going to play out, and it's going to hurt the Panthers because that pass rush, man, they need him. Well, you talked about the process. That's what's so weird about this, and I don't – I guess I don't have every example of a player holding out during negotiations in the last 10 years or so, but you would think when you go back to other holdouts, they're holding out of camp. They're not practicing with the right. team. And they're not waiting. I mean, I guess there are some situations where they'll get to game week and then maybe hold out, but there wasn't as much hoopla around the topic. But Brian Burns is saying, oh, yeah, my team needs me here. You know, he's saying, oh, I, I can't miss any time. Scott Fitterer, Frank Reich, when they're asked about it, you know, it just goes to show the type of guy he is. <laughs> He's going to be here. He wants to put in the work. You know, they just don't make him like that. He's different. This is the type of guy that he is. And now here we are game week. And I, you have to wonder what Frank Reich and Scott Fitterer are thinking now. Frank Reich did talk about what he thinks of Brian Burns at this point. He said, no, his view of the top edge rusher has not changed. You know, my view of Brian Burns doesn't diminish at all. You know, I mean, we understand there's a business side to this, you know, to this, to this thing we do. And uh, I still respect and admire the way he's handled himself. And, um, you know, so I, I have nothing but the highest regard for Brian Burns. Nor should his view change, by the way. Not at all. Nor should it. So it's the right <laughs> answer here. But I don't know if they saw this coming, Scott Fitter or Frank Reich. And tell me if I'm tripping, Wes, because I it, it is different. It, if you were to expect Brian Burns to miss game one, then you were to expect him to miss the worst part of the offseason, right? You, you know how many people don't like training camp. There are a lot. Justin Houston comes in really after or in the very late stages of training camp. But maybe, you know, Brian Burns has to stay in shape somehow. So I wonder if Brian is just looking at it. All right. Well, this might be dumb to continue to be fined. I got to stay in shape anyway. Might as well be held accountable. I'll go down to Spartanburg, whatever. It's easier to do it with everybody else around you. Not to say that he couldn't do it by himself, but maybe this is the idea. And since these guys 
agents, representatives, Brian Burns and the Panthers are reportedly still pretty far apart on negotiations. It's like, all right, well, now it's game week. I put in my offseason work. I was with y'all. Y'all saw it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm in shape. Give me my money. But the real value is when I miss games. <laughs> yeah. Now, he's still going to be missing some money if he skips these games. But now the real value is, oh, man, now it's Justin Houston, YGM. This pass rush unit goes dramatically down without him out Watch there against Atlanta. IR. This is going to be fascinating to see before we get to Sunday and they open up the season against the Falcons. Yeah, the wildest holdout I can remember, especially when a player was trying to prove to a team their worth. I always think about Emmitt Smith. Back in the day, when they came off of the Super Bowl, they didn't get his deal done. He set out, missed the first couple of games. Charles Haley was putting a helmet through the wall because he was upset they were losing <laughs> and said, you better go sign Emmitt Smith back. He comes back. They win the Super Bowl. Not to say that's what Brian Burns and the impact that he will have, but I'm telling you now, Desmond Ritter, because now if you're the Atlanta Falcons, up front, I'm going to worry about Derrick Brown, I'm going to worry about Luvu, and I'm going to worry about Justin Houston. But as far as just blocking assignments, well, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Derrick Brown and Justin Houston are on the same side. I'm going to make sure I'm taking care of that side of the defense. And then, you know, you don't know what you're going to get from Justin Houston yet. This is a guy that had a half a sack in his last nine games. I know different people have said, well, you know, teams were up and running the ball and he didn't have the opportunities, but the end of the at the end of the day, he only had a half a sack in his last nine games. So you don't know what you're going to get from him. If you're not able to get passwords, this is a team that was tied for 25th last year in team sacks with 35. Brian Burns accounted for 12 of those, and we know that he helps other people eat because he yeah. gets attention. So, man, if you come out and Desmond Ritter's just back there having himself a day and he's not worried about anything and he's just throwing the ball and calling mom and calling the girl and pointing up at people before he starts throwing. Remember the Fresh Prince episode when uh, Will was playing basketball and he was getting kisses from the cheerleaders yeah. and pointing to the crowd, dribbling up the court? That could be uh, Desmond Ritter and Derek Carr in the first couple of games. And I think after Carolina sees that, especially Ejero Evero, he's going to walk up to that office and say, y'all better get zero back on this field right now. Well, look at a strength of Atlanta's offense. It's the line. It, Chris Lindstrom sure. might be the best guard in football right now. From top to bottom, left to right, however you want to slice it, that offensive line is as good as a lot of offensive lines in the NFL. And so now, when your strength is pass protection, run blocking, and a Carolina weakness is pass rushing, man, all you got to do is... <laughs> If we're talking about one of the best guards in the NFL and Chris Lindstrom, and you're discussing, all right, well, we think you can man up against Derrick Brown, but either way, we'll just put another guy on and help you out a little bit because mm -hmm. we don't, we're not worried about anybody else. Think about Bijan Robinson in that backfield, fresh as can possibly be. You're discussing Desmond Ritter, who the 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 way that you allow him to get going is by not putting any pressure in his face. No doubt about it. So even if you know, if it was Derek Carr. I would be a lot more worried, right? If there's another QB, Desmond Ritter, yeah. I think the way to allow him to beat you is if you give him time, which is certainly something that is possible if Brian Burns doesn't suit up. And just with the value, man, he's going to be looking for $28 million because that's what TJ Watt is leading the league at right now. Highest paid edge rusher in the league, $28 mil per year. Nick Bosa, he's going to get uh, $34 million. 30. Yeah, I was about to say that burns down, but I think you need to put a three in front of that. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I get it. Like I I get why Caroline is doing this. I I don't, you know, if Brian isn't budging, fine. But I get why Caroline is doing it a little bit, but you're right about the leverage being with Brian. Really quick, just to play the advocate as we go to break. What if Carolina wins their first two games or go one and one and the defense gets three to five sacks in each of those games? Do you think that hurts Brian's case? A little bit. I mean, because that that's what you're hoping if you're Brian. I'm gonna it's weird because what what you're doing is you're kind of hoping that they realize your need. Well, in that, baked into that is them not performing well. Mm-hmm. And so now, this is always the weird part about negotiations, is because the team is saying, eh, you're actually not that valuable. I don't well, know. You're not that <laughs> yeah, good. You, you thought Brian you Bur- were. Brian Burns is like, well, I love my guys. This is going to be a great defensive line. We're going to you know, outperform expectations. Without me, they're not that good. <laughs> it's like it's like nobody wants to say the quiet part out loud, but in reality, Brian's like, hey, y'all need me. These other dudes, scrubs except for Houston, and he was not a scrub back in 2015. That's what his heyday was. So, yeah, it's going to be very weird to see how all this unfolds, but we all understand it's a business, and now it seems like Brian is exercising that part of the business, holding out instead of suiting up and playing and not providing any more pressure on the Carolina Panthers front office. While you know, if, if he were to play, then who knows? Like, it's just like, all right, well, we don't feel as much pressure, but if he doesn't and Atlanta wins, it becomes becomes pretty dicey as the season goes on. Let's move on. Let's talk more college football. we got some quick hits for you. We'll rank the wins in order of significance between North Carolina, Florida State, and Duke. Lots of other questions to get to on Weston Walker. You're listening to Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. There's too many college hits to get to. So many stories. ACC, nationally. We got to talk Colorado. I didn't expect to. I mean, it's not crazy, but I, I really didn't know that we were going to have to talk about Colorado. Really? I. If if they lose, if they get beat by 14. Oh, you're still talking, talking about baby. Because he talked. And that's true, but if they get beat by a couple touchdowns, then you know maybe it doesn't make Monday show the way it needs to. Mm. But we can't ignore this story. If they get beat by a couple touchdowns, Shador goes for like 300 yards. And we say, hey, you know, Colorado looks like they're building something nice up there, and then we move on. But no, we need to have this a part of the quick hit. So I told you a little bit about some of the questions that we had. I'm going to pass it over to Fiddy. Time now, because there's so much to get to, I want to give you college football quick hits here you go, Fiddy. Ask us the first question. A little bit more ACC-centric here with the first question to lead us off. All right, guys. We'll get started. North Carolina, Duke, Florida State all picked up massive season-opening wins. Rank the wins in order of significance. Wes, you go first. All right. I uh, started the show saying Florida State had the most important win, so I'm going to go with them, number one. Uh, Duke, for sure, that was a statement win to let the rest of the ACC know that they're here and they're not playing any games this year, taking down Clemson. Uh, so I'm going to go with them. And then North Carolina as well. And the biggest thing that came from their win, I expected them to beat South Carolina, but I thought it would be a more offensive game than what it was as far as on the South Carolina end of things. But North Carolina's defense showing up, getting over half of their season total from last year. Those sacks 
I mean, the stats. That's a nuts stat. The stats were just staggering because you add on to the fact that not only did they get nine sacks, but I think what might be equally or more impressive, they limited South Carolina to negative two yards rushing. If I was the South Carolina offensive line coach, we would have practiced that night. I would have had them uh, at the airship if they did take that or (laughs) out there at the bus if you're taking that from Columbia to Charlotte. And I would have had them doing blocking drills, trying to push the bus. Everything that they did this week in class, I would have had them pushing the teacher's desk. Everything they did this week would involve blocking of some sort. Just a pathetic performance. Probably one of the worst I've ever seen since I've been watching football, period. Wes isn't letting them take off their jerseys after. Not at all. Nope. Not at all. No shower. You got to sit in that filth. You're getting a peanut butter and jelly. You're not going to eat with the rest of the team. The good (laughs) food, none of that, man. It's going to be a... Just a dog week for them. I, I agree with you. I thought more important result, all-encompassing, that belonged to the Duke-Clemson game because we learned a lot about Clemson in that game as well. But if we're just talking about most important win, I'm going to I'm gonna give that a distinction with Florida State because with them, their college football playoff, especially with the style points, they matter. And so when you win that way against a team like LSU, who still is talented, we'll see if they learn from their mistakes, Brian Kelly, and actually use Harold Perkins as an edge rusher, then LSU is still a talented enough team to figure this thing out. The problem with Clemson is we don't know if they're a talented enough team to figure it out. LSU, we do. Like, we saw some of the significance, some of the intrigue with Jaden Daniels, who made some plays in the first half. I still think Florida State getting that win is number one. I'll go Duke number two. They've got dudes all across the field. Doesn't matter. Offense, defense, they look fantastic. North Carolina, it's funny because the bar is just so high to clear. That's a that's an important win. And, Fiddy, I want to throw this to you just for a second. As far as a 50-50 style important game, North Carolina has not dominated in those matchups. In fact, they outright lose them a decent mm-hmm. amount. Where does this rank in significant wins for North Carolina in the past five years? I mean, how far do we have to go to find a game as important as the one they won to kick off this season? I mean, I would argue it's maybe Mac Brown's second biggest win in 2.0, right behind the thrashing of Miami that clinched him a spot in a New Year's Six Bowl game. The 550 rushing total, right. And, I mean, if if you want to try to sell me that this is even bigger than that, you can because Carolina's schedule is set up. I mean, you know, like there's a a legit chance when when Duke comes to town in November where that could be – Carolina undefeated, maybe with one loss. Duke maybe with a loss or two with the inside track to get to Charlotte. That's why this game was so massive, and they finally responded. And they won comfortably, and the defense stepped up. Drake May had two interceptions. Yeah, because the game wasn't even close in the second half. No, it wasn't. But but even Drake May turning the ball over and the offense not punching it in, the fourth quarter specifically, then that's that's the perfect scenario against North Carolina. Oh, okay, well, we withheld their offense, but the defense, they stood up. And in the red zone, that was the whole bend, not break mentality. It was really good for them. Now, wait, before we move on, did you guys have any type of – was there any letdown for you as far as how Drake may play it in the second half? Because if South Carolina would have been able to capitalize or had a little bit more offense going, I think Drake would have taken a little bit more heat for some of those interceptions. I, I, You know, look, watching the game, I still think Drake May was very good. I even think in the fourth quarter, well, the second one was more so 
The first interception, that was a bad decision. Yep. The second one, I'm trying to remember it specifically. That one didn't seem like as bad. Was it tipped? Yeah, it was tipped. It went through Pesor's hands. So I didn't think the second one was bad. The first one was a bad decision by Drake May. Ultimately, it's not anything I worry about because he looks so good everywhere else. I mean, okay. just hitting dudes in stride. You're kind of worried about him a little bit? Uh, Yeah, I did think that <laughs> that was... <laughs> yeah, I did that think that that was a little bit uh, of some duality there with him and something to watch going mm. forward uh, because if that if South Carolina would have had a little bit more offense playing a little bit better up front you're talking about a guy who you know could have cost his team in that matchup and so that's the only reason uh, I ask about that because I just thought that the second half throwing two interceptions like that especially they were kind of at critical junctures that could have turned the tide of the game I thought that they might have got swept under the rug just a little bit because the they got the was victory tipped, though right like second that's one was true tipped. Turnover nonetheless, though. Pay store's got to come down. Yeah, no All right. What's okay. the next one, Fitty? All right, Walker, you didn't think we'd be talking about Colorado Not on like the this. first uh, football show of the year. Uh, but me and Wes knew because. <laughs> no, of course you, you know, did. Of course we're you Deion did. We're Dion dudes. And look, his son, Shador Sanders, bought out. But Travis Hunter played 100. And was a, I saw like 129 100, snaps. Yeah, 129 snaps. Making plays on both sides of the ball. I said in our in our question of the day that Sanders is a Heisman contender for for the Buffaloes. Whose performance was more impressive in prime time's uh, opening debut? I know where West is going, so I'm going to go the other way here. Uh, you might not. Okay. Well, maybe I'm. Well, maybe we both answer the same way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, give me Travis Hunter. I saw this tweet from Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus. Travis Hunter played 129 snaps as a two-way player for Colorado. In 100-plus degree heat, offensively, he had 11 catches for 119 yards. Defensively, he had an interception. And that interception, it wasn't, oh, here's a duck that I'm just going to sit under and wait till it falls back to the earth. Had to make a play on it in the red zone. So, monster interception and had a pass breakup. Sam said that's one of the most insane single-game performances any player has had in years. Shador Sanders, I mean, brain-melting, fantastic performance that he had. Give me Travis Hunter because a little Shohei Otani-ish in college football, what we got to see from him. Yeah, and so I'm going to go with him as well. Okay. Because when you look at this performance, the thing that I looked at, too, is the fact that in today's college football, I was telling my man when we were talking after the game, one of my old teammates, I said, man, I hated two-minute drill because I would get so tired during two-minute drill at that pace. This is the pace that college football is played all game long. So when you talk about 129 snaps going both ways, so not only offensively are you basically playing no huddle offense, but the other team's offense is playing no huddle offense. There's no going over, huddling up, catching your breath, and then walking out to your position to play. No, it's snaps over, get back up on the line, get ready for more action. To me, that's the most impressive part of this, how he did it. You heard Dion after the game saying, Man, we're going to make sure he's got a hot tub on the way back because we need to make sure he's good. Not only the interception as well, when you look at the pass breakups that he had, the impact that he had on the game defensively, I know that TCU scored a lot of points, but when it came to Travis Hunter and his side of things, he was there making plays nonstop, not just picking the ball off, but getting his hands on it, causing disruption. Then you talk about the two touchdowns he dropped. One, Shador underthrew. The second one, Travis Hunter dropped it, even though it would have been a spectacular catch. Then he had another one that could have been a touchdown that he bobbled and didn't get the feet 
down in time. He's not going to drop those balls all year long. The dude didn't get tired. I just said that's the dude in the neighborhood that shows up. He's the best athlete. He never gets tired. You guys play all day long. You're looking at him like, man, how are you not tired? That's the type of guy he is, man. He's like booby mouth. I just show up. This is God-given. Yeah, knock on wood. Stay healthy. (laughs) Don't get like booby and get hurt. Just stay healthy. What's the next question, Fitty? All right. Well, there was, you know, the the big game in the Queen City on Saturday night, but there was also another big game in Charlotte as well as – the Biff Pogey era officially got underway. Our very own Walker Noodle Arms Mail was out in uh, full support, although we didn't see a picture on social media. Yes, we needed that so, with uh, the cutoff. shame on you. Um, a 24-3 win for the Niners. Walker, are you more concerned with the offense or are you more impressed with the defense? Yeah, so they win 24-3 over South Carolina State. They allowed 168 yards of total offense. They gained 345 yards. The rushing attack, it was good. Darrell Robinson looks like the real deal. He looks fantastic. I'm going to say I'm more impressed with the defense, even if I'm a little concerned with the offense. The reason I'll say that, remember how we were discussing this with NC State, maybe holding a little bit back against UConn because they had a more formidable opponent coming up in the next week. Charlotte has Maryland second week. So if you're Charlotte, I don't know how much you want to put on film really attacking downfield. Maybe you hold back just a little bit and just try to win in the trenches, win running the football at nauseum. Maybe that's the case here. Defensively, they only held South Carolina State to 59 yards, 59 yards passing. They're monsters. They had a couple of fourth down stops backed up against their own goal line. Defense is going to be very for real this year. Offense is going to be a worry, but I have enough faith in their running back, so give me more impressed with their defense, and we'll see how it unfolds against Maryland. Yeah, and that was the thing with me, man. I was a little bit underwhelmed as far as the final result. I thought they would beat South Carolina State a lot worse than what they did, but it's the fewest uh, points that they've allowed since 2017. They only allowed three plays of over 10 yards, seven tackles for loss, three sacks, and then you rush for 220, which is what Biff Pogey wanted to do, uh, establish that physicality. Four different players had over four 40 yards rushing, so you like to see that. Jalen Jones had four passes of 15 or more yards, so those are some positives that you can take away, but a 24-3 result, I thought it would probably be, I thought Charlotte would maybe score double uh, that, but we're going to see how it looks against Maryland uh, before we really start to figure out what this Charlotte team looks like, but I did want them to beat South Carolina State just a little bit worse than what they did. It's fair. All right, let's go rapid fire here, Fitty. What's the fourth question on the list? All right, the last question for you guys rough week uh, opening weekends for Palmetto teams as South Carolina and Clemson both lose. But which team from the Palmetto State uh, quarterback is going to have a better year? Is it going to be Spencer Rattler, who threw it all over the yard against North Carolina? Or Cade Klubnick, who still probably has better skill, po- skill position talent around him at Clemson? Uh, I'm going to go with... Um, Spencer Rattler, because he was 30 of 39. Uh, North Carolina's pass rush did get to them. We'll see if they're able to fix that offensive line. But I just think that Cade Klubnick in this offense, I think they're very average in a lot of different spots. We talked about the skill guys. I think the offensive line is really the bright spot there. But I just, I've never been a big buyer of Cade Klubnick as far as a passer. So I'm going to go with Spencer Rattler. He's got the pedigree. He did play well against North Carolina. And I do think uh, the outcome and the output of the offense, so to speak, 
uh, was not on him. Um, yeah, I'm going Spencer Rattler. And these are two guys coming into the season. I had a little more faith in Kate Klubnick than you did. But Spencer Rattler, I thought, was real inconsistent last year. I didn't know what to expect. North Carolina had a million sacks in this game, and I still thought he looked good. And I don't agree with the whole skill position assessment assessment you have. I think mm. South Carolina's skill guys might be better than Clemson's. That's how down I am on an Antonio Williams, on maybe Will Shipley is better than anything that South Carolina has in the backfield. But I thought Leggett was really good, made contested catches. They were looking for him quite a bit. If you expect Juice Williams to step up later on, I'll go South Carolina and feel comfortable about it. All right, I lied. We have one more question. Okay. So, I mean, Friday, big day, ACC ads, football powerhouses, Stanford, Cal, SMU. <laughs> Cal got a massive, I think, 41-21 win over North Texas. North Carolina beats South Carolina. Florida State beats LSU. A lot of momentum for the ACC. And then Clemsoning returned in primetime on Monday night. <laughs> after, the week, after week one of the season, is the ACC still in a better spot than what we thought they were going into the year on the field? I think so. I think Florida State can be that college football playoff representative. Clemson is still going to get the benefit of the doubt of being a good football team. Maybe not great, but I still expect Florida State to get points if they win in Death Valley. I don't expect that to be just a ho-hum win, right? They already have the victory now. Style points matter. They got that victory over LSU. North Carolina... An ACC school beat South Carolina in what felt like a home environment for the Gamecocks. So, two ACC wins over the SEC. Wes, it just means more over here. <laughs> it just means more. Yeah. Give me the ACC with Florida State replacing. And plus, hello, Duke's a good football team. Yeah. And they knocked out Clemson. I think it's all good. I think there's no question about it here. I think when you look at what the ACC was able to do, like Walker said, Florida State establishing themselves early on as a team to be reckoned with. But I think also when you look at the depth of this league, if you can get one college football playoff contender or one team in, and then the rest of your conference has depth, we'll uh, see how it looks as the season goes on as far as Miami. But I thought they had a good showing. Uh, NC State, they played okay. But Pitt, we know what they represent. If Jakovic can play well, Syracuse came out. Obviously, they didn't play a strong opponent. But we know that they started the season last year 7-0, uh, and if I'm not mistaken. Virginia Tech, they were decent, just okay. But I think the depth of this league. And Georgia Tech, man, they gave it up at the end. But they look better than what they've looked like. I think the only teams you really look to is teams that probably uh, won't be that good this season. Boston College, Virginia uh, didn't look great either. And there'll be a couple of teams, but I think that overall the depth of this conference looks good. And I think that the ACC should be tracking for maybe four to five teams in the top 25 when this thing is all said and done. All right, that'll do it for college football quick hits. Let's give Fitty some more airtime by going to the second Fitty Flash of the day. What you got, Fitty? Fitty. Some uh, history being made at the U.S. Open. Coco Goff has advanced to her first semifinal. The first teenager to do so since Serena Williams did so many, many years ago. Goff is 19 years old, finally breaking through uh, in flushing. And really quick, guys, and a question for you from the 980. We're going to use it in the flash. Hey, guys. Just want your take on fat football referees that can barely run, <laughs> mostly in high school. Are they hurting the game? 
Yeah, man. You need to be able to keep up with the action to be able to make correct calls. I don't know if they're ruining the game or not. I don't think they're ruining the game. I mean, Shane Beamer <laughs> went out of his way to say that the Shane gang was eating hot dogs. That's right. Uh, yeah, that was ridiculous. By the way, I, I went, we've done this a couple times. I went Juice Williams with South Carolina. Do you guys remember Juice Williams? No, he played at Illinois. Yes. Yes, I do. Took Juice him to Wells. The quarterback, correct? I, I apologize yeah. to Juice Wells. Juice Williams, a Rose Bowl <laughs> participant. <laughs> Rashard Mendenhall, was he in the backfield with Juice? Mm-hmm. I believe the they were. Yeah, when they, they remember they beat Ohio State, went yeah. to the Rose Bowl. I do this all the time with Eric Ainge and Eric Dungy too. Ooh. That's a those are those That's, are a couple of other ones that I mix up. Eric Ainge is my first ever favorite quarterback. Mm-hmm. All right. I apologize to Deuce Wells. But Juice Williams, <laughs> I could call you worse. He was a good quarterback he back was. in the day. All right, let's go to our game day experiences. All of us experienced college football in the flesh this weekend. Let's talk about our experiences coming up next on Wesson Walker. Sports Radio 927 WFNZ. This is the Wesson Walker Show on a Tuesday. Man, we are buzzing off of the college football weekend. The Carolina Panthers get set to go this week against the Atlanta Falcons. And then Thursday, the Chiefs and the Lions get the NFL season started. So uh, it's a great time of the year, to say the least. Hit us up on the text line, 704-570-9610-336. Number says, if May fixes... The INTs, I vote we start calling him the Slim Reaper or Slim Newton. I like this guy. Well, I mean, they're cool nicknames. The problem is, especially with Slim Reaper, I've heard Jalen Rose call Kevin Durant that already. Being the slim, I love the nickname. I don't know if you're a Jalen and Jacoby fan, Mr. 336, but Slim Reaper already used on Kevin Durant, even if uh, it would be cool to kind of steal that. And And then Coach... Coach Jeff says, you guys think football refs can't keep up. You should see some of the 80-year-old basketball refs we get in high school. We keep the ADT machine on the bench. (laughs) Man, I don't know what's worse, either an out-of-shape ref that can't keep up or an old ref that you feel like can't keep up either, man, because that's the first insult you go to when they start missing calls. You're old behind. Can you get the call right? 100%. So the weirdest (laughs) ref story I had in high school when I was playing basketball, it was about we were were winning, we were going to win, but they were still trying to force turnovers and they were pressing, right? But it was about to end. And I was inbounding the ball. And so the official is handing me the basketball. And he says, Hey there, young fella. I'm looking at him. He said, look, so here's the deal. In order for them not to be able to steal the ball, just throw it really close to the sideline. So if they deflect it, it's going to go straight out of bounds. We're talking about like 10 seconds left. Even then, I'm thinking, no, you ain't supposed to be telling me this. Right. What are you doing? (laughs) And so I just say in the moment, I say, okay. And then so we eventually went inbounds. It's fine. Fast forward, we're all going to the locker room. It's it's separated just by a wall, a temporary wall that you put up between the officials and our locker room at Bunker Hill, at least at the time. So I'm telling that same story to my teammates. And one of the other refs said, I said no such thing, young man. I didn't say that. And then the other official's like, no, I, I did. I told him that. And he's like, oh, okay. Sorry about that. And I felt so weird going back to the locker room <laughs> that I was talking trash about one of them. But also, 
That was weird. He was like telling me how to win the game, and like I, I got you, dude. Anyways, yeah. yeah. Sometimes, sometimes maybe there is something to this whole conspiracy series uh, story stuff. All right, so we had some game day experiences. Walker went to check out his Charlotte 49ers in the flesh. I went to Duke Clemson in addition to going to Wake Forest and Elon last Thursday, and then Fitty went to see his beloved Tar Heels take on South Carolina. I'll kick off the conversation. Uh, the Duke-Clemson matchup was great. I was covering for the ACC Digital Network. You can go check out all the great content we had. We had a viral moment last night. I'll let you guys go check that out. Riley Leonard making a plea to his professor so that he could celebrate. So you can go check that out on the ACCDN on all platforms. But it was great, man. You get out there. Uh, we started working from about 3 o'clock, planning, strategizing, hitting up tailgates, trying to see uh, who we could talk to, the highlights from that, just fans that you could just smell the liquor reaping <laughs> from them. Talk to one guy who thought he was Kirk Herbstreet, had all this analysis. We were like, okay, buddy, like, can you uh, get this thing going? Then he kept like kind of touching me as he was talking, and then he Whoa. kept slapping me on my back kind of hard. Whoa. He did that twice, and he was trying to be funny. And so the second time he did it, as we were done, I politely told him, Hey, man, watch that slapping, okay? I had it with a smile on my face, but I was like, you, you slap me one more time like that, I'm going to, you're going to be laid out. The, I don't the think, footage is going to be evident. I don't think Marvin Gaye was playing. No, it was not playing. It was about to be fight night by the Migo. Yeah, okay? I was going to say. That's what it was about to be. Very different genre of music. Yeah, then we go to the game. I, I, I see Ryan Leaf just out of the blue. That was pretty dope uh, to be able to see him. Told him uh, I enjoyed the story and his appearance on The Pivot. Um, got to meet C.J. Spiller, the Southern Reggie Bush. Uh, got to tell him that in person for the first time. <laughs> got to see my old head coach, Steve Spurrier, as they honored uh, his Duke team out there. I walked up on Coach. I said, Coach, you remember me? He said uh, he he just was, was kind of looking at me with a little bit yeah. of surprise on his face. Then he said, uh, I said, you recruited me uh, back in the day, man, to come and play for you. First, he thought I was talking about one of his Duke teams. He said, you came here to play a Duke? I said, Clown no, show. coach. I said, no, coach. Uh, you are not disrespect the great ball coach. <laughs> and then he said, um, I said, no, coach. I said, University of Florida. He said, oh, what year? I said, uh, 2001. He said, oh, I don't remember too many of those guys. And then I just started laughing. And I was like, bet, coach. And I was like, good to see you. Took the selfie. Then the experience got to meet Derek Lively. We chatted a little bit on the uh, elevator. He had the fans lit. Then the storming of the field, being involved in that, right in the mix of all those kids. My girlfriend texted me as I stand there, and she said, please don't get trampled. Yes. I'm thinking to myself. We were all worried about Tom Lugan. <laughs> I said, these are Duke kids. I'm not too worried about that. It's a great response. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I'm not too worried about that. But had it been SEC country, Georgia fans, Tennessee fans, some of that crowd, I would have stayed on the perimeter because I did not want to get trampled. But it was a great experience overall. Got to see Riley Leonard at the end. Also got a quick interview, guerrilla style with him. So it was fantastic. All right. So real quickly, I'll just tell you, uh, going, to, uh, going to Charlotte's game against South Carolina State, Big shout to the student section. They showed up. Okay. If you want to go to one of these arbitrary lists that don't really mean anything, I'm going to put some meaning behind it because, well, it applauds the student section for Charlotte being among the best student sections, top 20 in all of college football this weekend. Sold out crowd, standing room only. So we showed out for Biff Pogey's first ever game. 
they're capitalizing on the marketability of what is a fascinating character at head coach. I can tell you, we all saw the pictures, but he did deliver with the game day attire. I did have my cutoff. I was going with the Biff Pochi cutoff. No, I did not take a picture. Forgot about it. I did take one of the scoreboard afterwards and said, all right, well, everybody's heading out. But it was a great time getting to watch it. The field looked good, too. Okay, loved watching every bit of it. Offense, we need to pick it up. Hopefully the love Darrell Robinson. Jalen Jones had a really bad red zone interception, but there were a couple of nice balls downfield. Hopefully he can connect on a little bit later in the season. But fun time. Like Charlotte fans have a lot of hope. And it gives me hope that they're going to show up if you give them something to show up for. And this is always the whole chicken and the egg thing, right? If Poji is telling you, we need more money, we need we need more things to allow us to go and get the talent that you fans think we deserve. So show up to the stadium, but also you're going to have to try to apply that, uh, apply that foundation at the beginning of this process, because that's what it takes. That's what it takes. And then the fans will help you out. And then it'll be a symbiotic relationship on that front. And so I, I really had a good time and I'm glad that Charlotte got the first dub big time game this weekend against Maryland. All right, Fiddy, as briefly as you can, you can give us your uh, experience going to North Carolina and South Carolina. Yeah, I'll focus on game day because I'll, I'll thank Colin Hoggard and Jeff Rickard. I, I've been here. Two, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, company man right you there. You know, two years, <laughs> the 20th, it will be my two years here at WFNZ and the amount of dreams they've made come true in a short amount of time, because um, I ask for things all the time. As you can imagine, I'm an asker. I want to experience what the job offers. And every time they make something happen, being 10 feet away watching Lee Corso put on the Ramsey headgear for the first time ever as a lifelong Tar Heel football fan, it was surreal. And so to get to experience that with Flounder, my lifelong best friend, and then to go out there and watch us kick – South Carolina's ass was as as a great a college ball Saturday as I've ever experienced. Got soft fitty there. Right. Touching. I know the tears uh, should be flowing, but man, yeah, I forgot about the game day experience for you, so I know that was really uh, dope as well. So when we come back, Hunter Bailey joins us from the Charlotte Observer. Charlotte 49ers reporter going to give us all of the rundown of what happened, what happened on Saturday and what's going to happen going forward on Sports Radio 92. 7 WFNZ.